You can move to, you know, the most remote part of the world. It's coming for you. The devil and his uh, schemes in your heart, you can't flee from it in this life. So James helps us navigate how to engage this life. How to, do you want to, you know, become a monk and run away from the world? Or do you want to engage the world? Or do you want to, we... Basically, it teaches us how to engage the world in wisdom. And that's what the book of James is, as we'll get into. But let me just, I know Pastor Roberts prayed, but let me just say a quick prayer to get us started uh, for myself. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to proclaim your word. May the spirit uh, guide my words. May it impact those who need to be impacted and uh, use it to... Draw us closer to you and become more like Christ. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so yeah, we'll get started. But this is, you see the um, outline, it's kind of questions. This is to be kind of interactive. If you have certain things you want to talk about, if something hits you. My goal is not to <coughs> exhaustively expound uh, every aspect of this book. It's to, if something hits you, raise your hand. Talk about it, you know, because that's what, that's what studying together is about is engaging the word um you know sharpening it each other through it so there may be some things that hit you and you feel compelled to comment or even question something that i say even though everything i say here is pretty much right there's nothing there's no error in this but if you have anything you want to say um so who is james as we get started james uh James the Just is what he's known as. It's pretty much synonymous, unanimous that uh, uh, it was the brother of Jesus who wrote the apostle or wrote the epistle or the the letter. Um, he was uh, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and uh, he probably wrote in the early 1940s or <laughs> early 40s A.D. Uh, because um, he doesn't really mention the Jerusalem Council, which was a big deal for him, because it basically reframed how they were going to minister to Gentiles. That's in Acts 15. That's where basically he tells, you know, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. You know, the, the main thing is, he says, keep them from idols. Don't sacrifice things with blood, um, you know, um, and sexual immorality. Uh, these are just things that were rampant in that time he says these are the things you focus on not the Jewish law so he doesn't really mention that and the book of James is really a wisdom letter it's like the Proverbs essentially of the New Testament it's written in aphorisms pretty much which are basically like you know proverbial statements although there is some connection there are some themes in James Um, there's some social conflicts going on between the rich and the poor and there's spiritual factions in the church, um, you know, some uh, being more uh, legalistic than others and uh, some more worldly than others. So he's, he's dealing with that. <clears throat> and another thing I choose the book of James because the devil has really deceived the church in a number of ways. It's corrupted from the inside. That's, that's one of his tactics and everybody's compromised. But those who are trying to stand for truth, they fall into the ditch of... The problems out there, our anger is addressed to those. These people are the problem with the world. These people, these things are the problem. And James says, no, hold on. The biggest problem is you. Your walk with the Lord is the most important thing. Concerning yourself with those before your own heart is an issue. 
Now there is right to be concerned, but <clears throat> we all we have to have this true religion embedded in our heart if we're really going to engage the world in an effective way. So that's kind of like James in a nutshell. Are there any questions before we get into the the meat of it? Any about James or anything? Anybody think it's uh, the son of Zebedee, John's brother that wrote it? <laughs> so he was the first pope instead of Peter. Yeah, he was the first pope, absolutely. He was the pope of Jerusalem. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Yeah, I hesitate to even call him a bishop, you know, but that's kind of the word uh, that may apply to him. But all right, let's read chapter one. The intro is um, <clears throat> greetings in scripture can be really informative. Um, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Um, so, you know, I put the question there is James making a statement here. And, and I think he is in some ways because, uh, you know, there's there's little there's question whether he's meaning this literally or figuratively. Um, and I think he's taking it like, you know, the true Israel has changed at the coming of Christ, because uh, in the, the real diaspora or dispersion from uh, Assyria and even into Babylon, I mean, all tra- all 12 tribes were dispersed, but the big one, the 10 tribes were dispersed. And James is basically saying, um, you know, the true Jews are no longer here just in Jerusalem or maybe in Jerusalem because a lot of persecution at this time was coming from the Jews. So he's saying you Jews who are scattered abroad outside of Palestine um, and have put your faith in Christ, you are the true Israel. You are the 12 tribes. So I think he's I think it's figurative. Some Calvin argues that it's literal. Or he thinks that it's little that he's just saying, you know, to the Jews outside of Palestine. But I think it's a there's something in the statement and I wouldn't, you know, he's, he's basically saying, you know, <clears throat> the church has changed. You know, we are the truth. Now Gentiles can be Israel. You're not Israel because you're circumcised. You're not Israel because you belong uh, here, not because you're here in Jerusalem going to the temple. Israel is um the body of Christ now, and um, there, it, it, it connects that. <clears throat> anyway, if there's any questions on that, we could unpack it more, but it's just something to think about. There's always something in the greetings. So anyway, here's where we get into the, um, here's where we get into some of the aphorisms and proverbs or wisdom that James offers. So in verse two, let's read uh, two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the <clears throat> testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials here is what it's often translated. It can be various things. I think it can be trials and temptations is what he's getting at. And... Um, you know, when you think about trials and temptations, are those good things? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, they are. They don't feel good in the moment, but um, <clears throat> we understand that God is sovereign, right? And is it more loving for God to let you just go the way you think to live and let you have your happy, content life with no trials and just, you know, living it up? 
Or is it, or does, do you feel the love of God more when you know he's working in your life? So as a believer, I became a Christian when I was, uh, just before I turned 22. And the years following that, my faith grew because the challenges that were coming, I knew that I sensed God working through them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I knew, it made God real to me. And I always counsel people, <clears throat> dealt with some people with some tragic situations, a lot of them self-imposed, and they thought their life was all planned out. And I say, look, the Lord is not concerned about your happiness in this life. He does not. Your happiness in this life is one of his least concern. He, your, his concern is that he, you um, prepare yourself for him to be his bride. That's, that's his concern. He's not concerned about keeping you... Uh, keeping your 401k up, keeping you comfortable. Um, you know, these are gifts. The trials are gifts. And that's what James is saying. But through those trials, it's our part to stay steadfast. And what that means is not taking the easy way out. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's all kinds of ways um, we can take the easy way out of our trials and temptations. We can give in, or we can seek uh, remedies outside of what God has called us to. What are some examples of trials? Y'all, y'all have any that come to mind when James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials? What kind of trials? Um, y'all have any that? Disease. Disease? Really? Yep, I, I have that. Endless list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is endless. Temptation, hardships, setbacks. You know, like I said, you got your life on track, then all of a sudden something comes crashing in. The way that you pictured your life is totally different now than you thought you would be at this age. You know, these are all trials and these are all temptations to say, God, you know, I'm doing my own thing now. I've trusted you long enough. Or God, I'm going to, you know, put my faith in this. And as we go through this, James is basically attacking those ways that we try to... um, basically lean on our own power and understanding um <clears throat> so perfect so what does it mean when james says here perfect and complete lacking in nothing so are you going to be like floating from your holiness by the time you reach the end of your life perfect complete just like jesus I think uh, that idea is there because the, the word, I think it's the same word that Jesus says when you must be perfect as your father in heaven and perfect as perfect. And what that means, I think, <clears throat> if, I think in Pastor Roberts or someone who maybe has studied it more, I think it just means being integral. Like it means you are who you are. There's no, you know. One life here, you're like, you're not living life in the church this way, living life this way. In public, you're not this way. In private, you're a different way. It's integral, perfect, complete, whole, you know? You're not like double-minded, as we'll see. I think that's one of the elements. Um, And it means that you've just, you're being led by the Spirit consistently, you know? And some people get there faster than others. And the way that you get there is faithfulness through your trials is what James is saying. So, and these believers would have been being persecuted, tempted to go back to um, the law to save them, temple, tempted to go back to um, sacrifices at the temple and all this. And he's just saying, trust in Jesus, you know, follow Jesus, even if they're, no matter what comes. 
another way to look at it, um, let's say from the eternal standpoint, you yourself mentioned that all the trials and afflictions that, and the goodness that God passes our way are to prepare us for eternity. Mm -hmm. Well, he's sort of saying, you're not going to be taken from this world until I've done everything to you and for yeah. you that I intend to do. It, you will be perfect yeah. by my standard, yeah. not perfect from sin, yeah. but yeah. I've done all I, I'm going to do for you yeah. to prepare you for heaven. Yeah, we're going to get it. That made me think of something, but I'll go on a tangent, so we'll go on. I think I hit it in here, so yeah, that, that hits on a lot that's... That's in here. Let's go to the next one because we'll see all this is connecting, but that's exactly right. Um, five through eight, the double-minded man. Um, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, you know, there's a lot in here, but he's basically telling you what, so where does wisdom um, come from? Where, like, where, where, is, what is wisdom, you know? From the use of knowledge. Yeah. I think wisdom, um, let's see. So the good definition of wisdom is um, knowing God's will and having a desire to do it. That's that's what wisdom is. Um, uh, I think that's a good like short definition. It's knowing God's will through Scripture, and then we're going to see written on the the, the laws written on our hearts. Now um, it goes beyond you know just following every jot and tittle. It's on our heart. It's on our mind. It's knowing God's will and doing it. That's what that's what um, wisdom is. And in certain situations, we're not going to know what to do. You know, I mean, there's things. That's what Jesus does. He puts you. I mean, that's what that's that's how God leads us in this life. He he doesn't want you resting on your own faculties and power. Like that's not how the Christian life works. The power comes like through Jesus. Him and His Father will one. He does nothing apart from the Father. That's how your life is supposed to be. I am no longer, it is not those who no longer live. It is Christ in me. I have been crucified. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. And so wisdom comes from God, and it comes by that faith in God, that he's going to lead you, that he's going to guide you. And if you're a double-minded man, what is a double-minded man? The literal word is two minds. So it's a person who goes to church and, you know, this is just a general example, but goes to church, love, you know, professes faith in God and then, um, you know, says he trusts in him for everything. All the while through the week, he's scurrying to how much money he could set aside and put into his account so he doesn't have to worry about anything in the future. That's just an example. It's like. A double-minded man who's one who loves the ways of God's intrigued by them, but practically in their life, they value, they trust in everything that the world offers. And a person like that will never be integral and perfect and complete. A person like that is like a wind blown by the wave. They'll do the church thing, but when they're 
when the world has them in a situation that compromises their faith in Christ, they don't really, they'll do that. They'll feel guilty. They'll come back to God and then they're like, oh, but God's not helping me out here. My, my bank account's a little low or this bill collector's about to take my car. I'm going to go here and swindle this person or something. And, you know, they're, they're trying to live in two worlds at once. And James is like, no, trust God for everything. And that's, a, that's kind of a carnal way, but it could be with your emotional state. It can be with your relationships. It can be with whatever. Whenever we try to take control and use worldly means, we're double-minded. We're saying, God's not going to help me. I'll take this matter into my own hands. And that man is unstable. He's always going to have emotional things, anger issues, as we're going to see. I mean, there's just not walking with God is never the way to go. You know, like not trusting God for every single thing, every single thing in our life. And that's that seems radical to a lot of Christians in America because we're so worldly, which we'll get into. You know, um, let's go on if there's any questions or comments, anything. There's a lot packed in these verses, so um, we're doing pretty good. Do we need another handout? Um, yeah, let's go ahead and start. Um, I'll go ahead and start reading if that's okay. So verses 9 through 10. Um, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Um, do, you, do you think it's better to be rich or poor in the world? Like, seriously, it's not rhetorical. Is it, is it better to be a rich or a poor person? Either or. Yeah, I think ultimately it is. But honestly, it's better to be poor. I think, you know, practically from Scripture. <clears throat> Now, don't, 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 hold on, let me unpack this before <laughs> you just write me a check with everything at the end of the study. You guys are going to be blessed. <laughs> but America is the most dangerous place spiritually to live in. I remember when Piper said, John Piper said this, well, as a young Christian, it's always stuck with me. We have every need met. Even whatever income level you're at here, you are essentially... You know, you're not poor in the physical sense, right? And that's a dangerous place to be in because you condition, you take for granted the, um, the um, you know, the necessities of life. You think they're just coming apart from God, right? It's a very dangerous place to be in. But you're no better off if you're poor or rich, ultimately. If James here is, he's talking to a congregation where these poor, rich Usually Jews and other people, because Jews were hated. Once people found out they were from Israel, they were scattered abroad here in these outside of Palestine. They didn't, they, Israel was shady to a lot of countries, even back then. You know? <laughs> no, you know, so, but, um, so when they found out they were Jews, they were like, we need to, these people treat them, they treated them pretty bad. And there's a lot of persecution. But even within the congregation, you had the wealthy um, you know, showing favoritism as we're going to see. Um, they were, you know, 
They thought they were better. And what James is saying here, he's basically encouraging the poor in the congregation to say, look, he's basically saying these rich people, they've got it all. You think they're beautiful flowers. They've got everything you think. But no, your position is actually better. If they continue on um, in an ungodly manner with their wealth, you know, they're going to fade. And they're, they're going to be humiliated. And the only other time that word humiliated is used in the New Testament is when in Acts 8, when they're quoting from Isaiah, talking about Jesus' crucifixion from Isaiah, the humiliation of Jesus. That's the other word. <clears throat> that's the word that um, they are rich in his humiliation. If you know rich people... They, it's, you know, rich people apart from Christ, it's, it's a sad state. It's a vapid, it's an empty state. Um, I was with someone yesterday. I've got a couple of illustrations from yesterday. I was at a comic, my buddy put on a little comic trading convention up in Sparkburg and I was up there and there's this old school dealer who's multimillionaire. And uh, I was telling him when I had the shop in Fort Mill, this person from New York brought me like three boxes of a really pristine collection that I purchased. And because uh, we were talking about how collections move throughout the country and stuff. And he was like, did you buy that collection? You know, and I was like, yeah, you could tell it killed him. This was happened like six years ago. You could tell it killed him that he didn't have that collection. This guy has like millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff. But that's how tied he is, you know. And that's such a hollow life to live. He's in his 70s and he's going into that. At the end of your life, if all you have is your material blessings, you're like a flower. You're just going to fade away. And um, so James is using this essentially, I think, as an encouragement for the poor people and a warning to rich people. But being rich is um, being rich is a good thing. So like in the sense, if you I mean, it's a gift. Um, It's a good thing if you're willing at a drop of a dime to give it up. You know what I'm saying? Jesus says, told the rich man, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor it's the idol all of us have our various idols none of us usually have the same group of idols that we struggle with but rich people usually do but if you god gives wealth to certain people because the wealth does a number of things you can you can um you know financially support ministries but also what I've tried to do since my like early 30s is I don't want anybody having any power over me financially because that that's a that's a that hamstrings you. If somebody has the if somebody's in control of the money to take care of your family, they control what you do and say basically. So I always seek financial freedom <clears throat> in that regard, but I don't trust. I do. I do want to set your heart where you trust on it. You could take. You want to be the kind of person that if everything is taken from you, it doesn't matter. You're going forward because you're not alone. You walk with Christ. He is who I trust in. And if He uh, allows certain means, and you, you become wealthy, use it. Don't use it for yourself, as James is going to get into. But any other comments or anything like that? It's rich and poor can be touchy, but it's really not. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There is something wrong with trusting in money and poor people can trust in money just as much as rich people the lottery is the biggest industry i think in our state poor people can obsess about money way more and be in sin about money way more than people with money or believers with money for sure 
Um, any comments on you? Yeah, your question really was, <clears throat> is it better to be rich or poor? But yeah, that probably was probably better to be neither yeah. rich yeah. nor poor. Yeah. Because there's temptations and yeah. problems. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and we're going to, let's see. Yeah, that, the next thing um, kind of hits on that. We'll, let's, can, let's read this and then we'll, that kind of ties into what we're about to get into. Um, verses 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that ties into that first question, Mike. Is there any way to avoid trials and pains in this life? If you're rich, you're going to have temptations, trials, and pains. If you're poor, you're going to have temptations, um, trials, and pains. So, like, in life, like, it seems like in our culture, I mean... And we do this, I mean, depending on your sin set, some people are more rational like in their sin, their pride, intellectual pride, craftiness. Some people are more sensual. They lean more towards like pleasure. Um, but either way, um, you know, if, if you don't change, pain is going to be a part of your life. There's the pain of staying the same, and there's the pain of following Christ, right? You're never going to avoid pains and trials. I remember one of the one thing when I was growing up and I saw a lot of brokenness. I didn't grow up in a Christian environment and I was in really bad situations and family and new family. And I was in public school and knew all the family situations. I just came to realize nobody's getting out of this unscathed. The rich people, the rich kids that were that seemed to have it all together. I mean, their families were, they weren't raised. They were with their parents, maybe, you know, barely saw their parents. I knew the owner of the Charlotte Hornets' son, and he, um, I mean, there was just a wildness, recklessness in him because he was basically raised by a nanny. He didn't know his father, you know. Um, and so, you know, there's no escaping pain in this life. And ways that we try to cope with pain, our culture and even Christians at times, is we try to rationalize it away. We try to just block it, you know, take, you know, pills, alcohol, um, swindling, money. There's all kinds of ways that we try to um, avoid the pain. And there's no avoiding it, right? Um, but the, the, the pain... Um, the pain of following Christ has reward. The pain of, we're comfortable with one pain, of staying the same, gratifying ourselves, getting us day to day. That's easy. We naturally go towards that. The pain of following Christ um, is, is worth it, you know? And he says um, later on in this passage, the passage goes on to say, when all these things are coming about you, don't blame God, you know, or when you're in the, facing temptation and a temptation you keep continue to struggle with, 
don't, don't, um, don't blame God. Because where does sin and death come from in this passage? What's he get at? On the inside. Yeah, yeah. We're all corrupted by sin. There's no, there's no way. So the devil is a master lawyer. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he, 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 he wasn't really responsible for Eve's sin in the garden. That's why God addressed her first. You know, he just, he, he has a way he will, he, if the devil didn't have to give you pleasure, he wouldn't. He knows every legal thing. You are responsible for your sin. When he tempts you or whenever the world and his mechanisms lead you to sin, he's not going to be the one that gets the blame. You are. You, you have the choice. He's, he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't make you do that, you know? And he's right to a degree. Your sin inside of you <clears throat> is lured by these things. Um, you know, it's our choices, and when their choice becomes sin... Um, it, I mean, when we, when we uh, sin, it starts to produce death. So the more that we continue in sin, um, you know, it leads to death. Even in Christians, so this is what made me think of what Ken was talking about. So Christians can send their brains out, and they can. And like Calvin said, though, there's no closer place to hell on earth than a disobedient Christian. If you are living in sin... I'm sure none of y'all have, but I've been there as a Christian living in sin. It is like, it's absolutely hell. Like you living in that hell of, of living in sin and having the spirit in you, it's, it's, it's torture and it's death. You know, it really is death to every ounce of peace, um, every ability to move forward in the Christian life. So that's what it is. It comes from within. It's, it's, you can't blame God. Another illustration yesterday, um, the guy I bought who gave, left me his comic shop, I, I ran into him, and he said his wife died a couple years ago, and three churches helped him out, and he promised to himself he was going to give them $500 each. And he said, Thursday I took $500 to one of the churches, and the other two were, the other two were closed, and he said, you know, the devil kept me from taking that for a year. <laughs> I didn't get into it because it's not, it wasn't the situation, but that's how people think. The devil kept me. I know I was going to take him that 500 bucks, but you know the devil. <laughs> and people think like that. I mean, Christians, uh, we're quick to blame the devil for our own uh, sin, and we just do not get that option, um, unfortunately. Let's keep going. We should uh, just knock these out. All right. Any other questions about that section? All right. Verse uh, 16. Um, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits. Um, Sorry. My wording got messed up. Oh, God is good. There we go. That's what you have in your marriage, right? Um, 
How are we deceived when it comes to God's goodness? I'll, kind of, I'll, I'll just lead us in that. We think he's punishing us. We think God's not sovereign. You know, he's not in control. God must not be sovereign if all these things are happening in the world or it happened to me. We question God's character, right? That's one of, we, 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 we question God's goodness. But James is saying God is good. He doesn't change. So going back to like the first aphorism there, are trials and temptations good gifts? They are. They are. And they come from a perfect father who does not change. If you've been saved, if you know those moments in your life, <clears throat> or that, in that first moment the spirit fills you and you knew you were saved and your life was really, you knew your life was changing or had been changing and you realized it. For me, it was more dramatic. Some people just, but you always come to that moment that you realize God saved you. He's not the God that's going to decide he doesn't like you. You know, one day he's like, oh, you've been really messing this up. I regret saving. He knew you were going to be ordering at 60 when he saved you at 20. He knew that. He knew what you were going to be like. All your sins he knew before. So he saved you. He's not going to change. So these trials and temptations, when they come, they are not um, things that should make us question God because he brought of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures the word of truth impacted your heart and now you are first fruits of his creatures so what does it mean to be a first fruit uh, of his creatures anybody got something quick Basically, it means in the early church, it was the first believers. Paul talks about this. He saved them. You were the first fruits that are going to lead a bunch of fruits behind you. You were the first bud, and there's going to be a bunch of fruits that spring behind you because of what God's doing in your life through the word. And now it's us. When we go into God places that are totally godless and lack God's kingdom, we could be the first fruits, or we can start producing the first fruits in those areas. When people come to salvation... You save a group of um, gangsters, the first guy who does it, you could say you're the first fruits. The Lord saved you because you're the first fruits here. So it's just, it's just the first person to, uh, you know, be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, lead the next people on salvation. All right, this last section we can cut through pretty quick and get to the end, which is pretty important. Know this, my beloved brothers, verse 19. Let every person be quick to, quick to hear, slow to be, speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Has anger, have your fits of anger ever affected your life? <laughs> Everybody's laughing because like, yeah, it's... Uh, it's so bad. I mean, you know, and um, anger is destructive. I mean, Paul, James is going to get out your words, your anger. They can be far more destructive than even like a pornography or alcohol addiction or something. Words and anger can destroy people, destroy your family, because these aren't things you can blame on the alcohol. These aren't things you can blame. You know, these aren't things like concrete things. These are things that, um, you know, 
they're destructive. Um, but of course, God's grace can repair anything. It's not, it's not beyond care, but words can be destructive. And uh, when he says, how can the words save your souls? How can the words save our souls? In that last part, the implanted word can save your souls. Does it mean that if you don't, if you get angry or, you know, are you going to, you know, you're not saved until you implant the word and fulfill this life and overcome your anger. I think if we know the, you know, the totality of scripture, sin destroys your soul. It destroys you. Peter talks about abstain from the sins that destroy your soul. A Christian soul can be wrecked and ravaged to nothing. They may be saved because nothing is going to make God change his mind, but you can definitely destroy your soul through sin. And that's why we have to come to church. That's why we have to stay in the word. That's why we have to study the word together. That's why we need each other to remind each other the word and teach each other. Because if you're not doing that, it's so easy to be influenced by the world, you know. So you can destroy your soul as a Christian and non-believers. Their soul is, uh, you know, without the spirit is, is completely gone. All right. Here's verse doers and true religion. We can get through this pretty quick, pretty straightforward. But be doers of the word and not hearers only <clears throat> deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When we look in the mirror, we study ourselves, we say, you see who you are, you see your flaws, you see the good parts and everything, and then you see, you know, you study yourself. Then you walk away and you say, I'm a monkey, you know. I'm going to live like a monkey. I'm just going to throw stuff, use the bathroom wherever I want. You know, that's what he's saying. We do with the word. We come to church. We read scripture. We study it. We learn all these beautiful things about God's word. And then we step out and we're a totally different person. That person um, has totally forgot who he is in Christ. That person is, um, uh, you know, he's a hearer. He's a hearer. He's a hearer, but not a doer. And James is saying here, hearers aren't going to be blessed. You know, you can't be blessed by the spirit living in by your own standard. You know, so that's that's what he's saying. Does that go back to the double minded man in verse eight? Yeah, it's probably all tied together. Um, Yeah, that's it's links really well. You know, it's like you go here, you're in the mirror. Oh, man, look at how godly I am. And then as soon as you get. Uh, you're just swayed like an ocean, like James says. Like, I'm over here. Oh, I'm in the world. Oh, when I'm with my church people, I'm here. Or, you know, I'm trying to get with God. It's just a matter of faith. Is God your everything, or you still have a foot in the world? So that's what, the, that's what it really is. One foot in the world, one foot in the church. And that's, yeah, it all kind <clears> of <throat> impacts together. And how we get it is obey God's law by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can, studying the law itself is futile if you don't have the Holy Spirit. It's not going to do. The new covenant is written on our heart, you know? 
So you, the, it's, it's, it's changed. The Old Testament talks about this. It is on your heart. You can navigate way more situations without having to study a book now because the Spirit is with you. And that is um, through the means of grace, you know, communion, fellowships, reading the Word, sitting under good preaching. These things help you walk by the Spirit. And uh, through that, you're blessed. Okay, true religion, and then we're done. And... Uh, uh, yeah, you want to do it next week? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. We can. That's important too. So we can. Uh, we can finish that next week. But yeah, any other questions, comments on anything? Have y'all been in the Book of James recently? Anybody? Have we read it? Yeah, been in it. or stu- Has Pastor Robert studied on it since he's been here? Once a year. Through your Bible personal study? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's good. I just, Luther, was, <laughs> Luther was pretty vehement against it, but I think there's a lot of grace. You'll see some of the passages that we consider like uh, he considers law are really grace. They're gospel-filled passages, a lot of them, so... But thank y'all so much. And uh, how did y'all like the format? Do y'all like interacting more? Okay. Yeah. Is that good? Cool. 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 Well, yeah. Thank y'all so much. I appreciate that. We need to pray. Yeah. 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 Lord, we thank you for uh, next teaching in uh, James. We uh, ask you to prepare us for eternity with those trials that are gifted to us and. Uh, give us wisdom to know your will and do it. We uh, ask that we would lay aside all all cares and focus on the worship that's coming up and the preaching of your word and prayer and, and the table that you set before us. And we ask you to bless uh, uh, the whole day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, we could have these. If I get in early, I'll just have them out. Pass them out. Let's see yeah. a little bit. Um, I've got a page back there for you. What's up? Okay. To show me, yeah. Just a. You want me to hand. do it today? Or you, you, you oh, want well, I I thought it was going to be a little much yeah. for you to do. Yeah. I'll, I'll take care of it today. Yeah. And then but we'll I'll talk it. to you a little later and I'll yeah. show you. Well, it's a good connect after church. You can yeah. show me that. That's fine. I thought that's taking on a lot. <laughs> yeah, I like talking through stuff, man. If I, if I, uh, and of course, as, <clears throat> as just doing the door keeping, yeah, and I thought that was that's about 10% of what's yeah. involved. You got to watch and all that. 